This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on washing and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. America, it's Friday, and it has been such a fun, fun week. We all got together. We said, how could we make this Friday even more fun? And I don't know which one it was, but one of us just jumped up and said, how about an Ebola Friday? So, So welcome to our first and possibly last Ebola Friday. We begin there right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. It's Friday. It's Ebola Friday, which is always exciting. Um, We have um, uh, Jason, who is one of, he's my chief researcher. Um, He's a a military, ex-military guy. He is an adventurer. Uh, He is the guy who um, went out uh, into the deserts of Iraq uh, just to, you know, just, just to get a story for us, uh, which was really frightening. He's in the middle of, what was that, six days in Iraq? Six was that one of six days in Iraq? And they started taking fire uh, from... I picked that fight, by the way. What'd you say? I picked that fight, by you the way. You did, actually, <laughs> you did. Uh, but they started taking fire from ISIS, and, uh, and he was in heaven, so when I got a call from Samaritan's Purse about a month ago, uh, and, um, and um, Franklin Graham said, Glenn, uh, we want to take you um, to see, you know, in Liberia and what we've been doing with Ebola. And I said, Franklin, thank you. <laughs> Not a lot of people offer to take me to where Ebola is, but at least you're being straight up. I want you dead. <laughs> and uh, uh, he said, no, no, no. It, it's the Ebola thing has been unbelievably cleaned up and cured in this part. Um, and it's all thanks to Samaritan's Purse. And I said, not that I don't believe you, but I'm busy. So I'm going to send Jason. So I sent Jason for how many days? Three days? Three days. Three days. Uh, three days on the ground in Liberia uh, with Ebola. 
Uh, and is three days enough for a really nice Ebola visit? I, I don't know. I don't know because I don't know. I, I hate you know, to cut them short like that. The, I know the first couple of like, days I you're just, just soaking in the old uh, syringes right. and, and, <laughs> and sponges the, all over the floor and the bloody saw. gloves and stuff. I mean yeah. that takes a while. You actually you actually went into um, one of these places yeah. and there still there still was the bloody stuff all over the ground. Yeah, they so they took us all over. So what they're doing is they sh- they're shooting a documentary. Um, it's called Facing Darkness, and it's all about uh, the response that Samaritan's Purse was was not only Samaritan's Purse, but Samaritan's. But let's let's actually let's let's phrase it this way: that a few Christian organizations, charity groups, had to respond clinically when the rest of the world pretty much turned their back on them. Right. Now, what do you think about when you're like, oh, you know, Ebola sounds like one of the most scariest things? Alive. I mean, this is actually kind of fitting. The last one we did about ISIS and the Christians, the Christian plight mm-hmm. towards ISIS. Now we're talking about Christians on a completely different front line, um, providing care to a very invisible, you know, enemy, which is a de- this deadly virus. And I was talking to uh, the head guys on the ground, uh, the country uh, organizers there, um, with Samaritan's Purse and uh, SIM, medical missionaries, all those guys. And they said, we, when this uh, outbreak uh, lifted out and there was like hundreds and then it became thousands of sick coming in, the entire we were begging the WHO and the rest of the world, the rest of the world governments, please help us. That we've never seen anything like this. I mean, you're talking about Dustin Hoffman, you know, outbreak, or like as Jeffy, I'm sure you could uh, uh, appreciate this, like a zombie apocalypse. That's what this looked like. A lot, a lot of these pictures and video. Oh. Um, that's what it looked like. So I, I, I was, I was just amazed. I was like, so wait a minute, no government would help you, and they thought that possibly the world's most dangerous, you know, potential pandemic was, you know, adequate to have two Christian charity groups. Take the lead for the entire world. And he's like, well, yeah, that's basically what happened. And these are the guys. I mean, this is the um, beginning of a pandemic that that actually um, caused the Ebola virus to come here to the United States. That's right. This uh, was ground zero. At the, yep, this is, so uh, Dr., Dr. Kent Brantley, um, that was the first stop we made on this trip as we went to that treatment center in Monrovia where Kent Brantley um, – was providing uh, care for something entirely different. Um, that's not his uh, his area of expertise. He has something different. But he was there basically thrust into now um, dealing with the world's most deadly virus. And um, we went to the chapel. They, they, they had a chapel in the middle of this, uh, of this hospital. And they were like, we don't know what to do with all these people. We have no isolation ward, no way to cover for these people. So they said, well, let's put them in the, uh, let's put them in the chapel. So literally they had to just like, you know, make a makeshift like CDC level, you know, level five or whatever quarantine zone within this chapel. In, in Liberia, which I don't imagine that they just, they don't have the Home Depot to run and get the tarps and everything. Like I would imagine, you know, we would freak out if everything was a tarp. How did they make it? How did they make a level five? <laughs> they didn't have, so the entire country of Liberia, the WHO for that matter, did not have a way to respond to this. They did not have the How gear. is that possible? Wow. That's what I said. I said, I, I don't. This is hard to believe. I don't believe that they didn't have something set up to deal with this. And he goes, well, we didn't really, we didn't really know what to think either. We didn't know what to do. So that's when he was like, he, he reached out to the American government. He reached out to the Obama administration. He reached out to everyone. Everyone turned their back and said, look, oh, this is Ebola. This is on you. You guys take it. Um, you think about. That's crazy. Sure. Insane. I, and I've never heard. That is, the, that is the most lethal weapon in the world, and you've read Ken Albeck. 
mm-hmm. haven't you? Um, what was what the name of that book? Uh, Out, Biohazard. Uh, no, uh, Biohazard. That's what the Russians were trying to do is weaponize Ebola. You just get somebody on a plane. You just go over ISIS, get sick, go on a plane, go someplace. It's all over the world. I mean, it's crazy that no, no government would help. So the government would not help them. They are literally taking – they had so many – this, this, this chapel, this makeshift chapel only had room to house about 20 people within this little chapel. Well, that obviously wasn't enough. As the, as the people were coming out of the north, northern jungle, they're just flooding into Monrovia by the hundreds and thousands. They're just literally littering alongside the road. They're, they're waiting on the side of the road because they didn't have the beds inside this little chapel. So as soon as the, the 20 or so would die in this chapel, they would take their bodies out, put them on a slab, burn the bodies because that's when the body is the most dangerous after it's dead. Um, they'd burn the bodies, then pull in the rest off the street. It, 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 this is a nightmare. It was a literal nightmare. Um, you mentioned walking through. So I walked through one of uh, the treatment centers that um, was up in the north in the jungle. And I went to the, to, to, into this uh, treatment center, and one of them had been completely renovated. And I was like, this is interesting and all, but do you have one that really hasn't been touched, you know, hardly since the outbreak? I, I kind of want to get the feel for it. And they're like, well, yeah, you know, we just uh, sp- decontaminated and sprayed it down, and we locked the doors. No one's been inside it, but you can go ahead and go in. And uh, I was like, I'll take my crew in there. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll go see you know, what, what the story is. Did you ask the crew if they also wanted to go in with you? Ah, they followed. Yeah, I didn't really <laughs> ask me. I probably yeah. should have. But um, we walked in, and it was, it was, it was interesting because the doctors that had treated the, the outbreak, they were with us, and they were like, oh, wow, we haven't even been in there since. So they walked in, and it was a very somber and kind of surreal experience as they just kind of walked through and saw the empty beds. Um, they pulled the mattresses out, but they still had the beds in there. Um, they still had the charts from even some of the Americans taped up to the wall. Um, they had uh, uh, dirty syringes just kind of like littered you know, all along the floor, medical masks that were still strung out all over the place. Did that concern you at all when you walked in? I didn't. I wasn't really. I, I actually, to be honest, I was kind of just caught up in the moment. I, it was just so. This is this is this was the struggle. So it, it, it was it, it was incredibly horrific, and you wrap your brain around that. But then you realize that an incredible miracle was was pulled off here, and that's where my state of mind was. I was so you know amazed by what you God spent had. No pulled time off. at any time during the trip worrying about. Holy crap, I might have Ebola. Well, after I left that facility, I did. <laughs> we're, we're walking out. We're walking out. And they said that, oh, we sprayed it down with decontaminant. I reached up like an idiot, and I thought it was dirt on the, one of the windows. I wanted to see it. Oh, dear God. So, so, I, so I, are we safe to be in the same room with you at this point? Uh, September 22nd is my last okay, uh, day good, to wear. Good, good. <laughs> I don't recommend that you come and be an audience member of any of our shows until after that date. Well, it was insane because I, 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 I wiped off what I thought was dirt. And, but it was slimy in this like uh, what the? greasy stuff that was on my hand. So I, I it's, it's on the what footage. Are you? you I'm like, oh my gosh, I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> the ne- it's very too next late. day, it's too late, right then. Twelve hours later, I come up with a horrible, horrible headache, and I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, please Lord. tell me this isn't. Come on, this is placebo. You got to be kidding me. One of the w- ladies that was with us, part of my crew, she also gets a headache, and I'm like, oh, you forget this. You, you are just joking right now. Well, we were sick the entire that's, day. That's the first sign, isn't it? Headaches, then body aches, yeah. and then you start bleeding out of every single orifice in your body. Right. Did you after go back that. to the chapel at that time. Well, I went to. I did go. Yeah, with- he licked all the pews <laughs> and the floors. I did go to the doctors that treated it, and I was like, "I, I just it's responsible for me to report this because I do feel bad." And they're like, "Oh, don't worry about it. You probably just had malaria or something like that." And I was like, "Oh, gee, thanks. I'm so <laughs> much better. I feel so much better." Man, I don't know. You should be the. You should work for the. 
for the travel agencies for booking flights to Liberia. It sounds like I have got to go. What's funny is when you leave Liberia, and there's I have a picture of this. It's like right as you leave up on the wall, they have a they have a calendar, and it says warning, you know, in big red letters, you are leaving a hot zone for the Ebola outbreak, and they have a calendar on there, and it shows you your day. So you're basically could be infected up until this date. My date is September 22nd when I'm completely free. Thanks for coming to work. So yeah. <laughs> did you see his office what the what the crew did? <laughs> so great. They built they built a plastic tent around it, put air handling uh into <laughs> all around. He doesn't have an office, he has a desk. <laughs> and they put it all around and and red lights and caution oh, tape the, and this is the uh that's yeah. great. Yeah, that was it. So my date right there the 22nd. <laughs> wow. Okay, so tell me the um, – I'm going to take a quick break and then we'll come back because I want to get into also just Liberia itself mm. because fascinating. it is truly fascinating. We all know Liberia, Monrovia, it, it has three branches of government exactly like ours. It, it, it was started by former slaves that loved America and loved f- the freedom of the Constitution and the free market system. But I learned something from you about Liberia that I had no idea that blows my mind. Um, so more on this. Uh, and are we doing it? When are we doing the TV special on this? So um, probably late September. Late September, three days in Liberia, and you'll be able to uh, see all this. But it, it really is a miracle what Samaritan's Purse has done. Yes. Um, they are a remarkable, you know, that's Billy Graham's organization and a remarkable, remarkable organization. We have until the 22nd, right? So we don't want to air it before then because if something happens to him, we want to be able to add that to the special. No, that'll make for a better special. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. And now this, you know what we do is we air it on the 22nd and we say we're opening up an envelope from his doctor <laughs> tonight to tell you if those symptoms are indeed Ebola. Don't <laughs> miss the exciting ending in possibly more ways than one according to the uh, wall street journal german savers are now um leaving the security of savings banks and they are parking their cash at home Stu, do you remember this is long before pat joined do you remember when we were in doing the show still in radio city music hall and and i drove in every day and and i'm like there's something wrong with GE and the banking. Do you remember that? And I, I'd come in every day and I'd see 30 Rock. And I'd be like, and I'd pass, not Morgan Stanley, what was Lehman Brothers? Lehman Brothers, yeah. Lehman Brothers. And I would pass Lehman Brothers. And I, and I, don't, I didn't know anything about Lehman Brothers. And I'd be like, there is something wrong with Lehman Brothers. Then we'd get to 30 Rock. And I'm like, and GE, something's wrong with GE. And I started studying, 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 and couldn't figure it out. And then it tied into all of the economy. And I remember saying, someday we could, we could lose the dollar. We're here. We're here. Germans are taking their money out of the banks because they don't believe the banking system is safe. This is nuts. You need a safe at your home? The best safe is a Liberty Safe. Now offering rebates of up to $250 when you buy a Liberty Safe. You need some place to keep your guns, need some place to keep your photo albums, but also money, gold, whatever it is you have. There are times I want to put my kids in there. I'm so worried about the the atmosphere of the world. LibertySafe.com. Click on my picture, type in the promo code Glenn, you'll save $250. Limited time offer only at LibertySafe.com. 
You're listening. You're listening. To the Glenn Beck Program. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. The last time you purchased your mattress, you were also paying for things you didn't know. You're paying for the showroom. You're paying for the guy's salary who helped you, the commissions, and the reseller's profit. Casper Mattress has changed all of that. They sell directly to you. That's why the most comfortable mattress you have ever slept on is going to save you a ton of money. Cost you much less than the mattress you bought years ago. Casper was invented with two high-tech foams that guarantee that you sleep cool and comfortable with the support that you need. Also, Time Magazine, because of this, named it one of the best inventions of 2015. And your Casper mattress ships free and is delivered in a small, really, honestly, how did they do that kind of box? Tanya and I have a Casper mattress, and we love it. Try one in your own home for 100 nights, risk-free. If you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund every single penny. Go to Casper.com, use the promo code BECK, and get $50 off the purchase of your brand-new Casper mattress. Terms and conditions do apply. It's Casper.com, promo code BECK. Casper.com, promo code BECK. to the Glenn Beck Program. So, Ebola in Liberia. We did, we did do a little uh, video for uh, Jason, um, you know, before he left. We wanted to play him the little song so he could remember all of the safety tips he apparently didn't remember. Um, but, uh, but here's our little Ebola uh, uh, safety video. from eyes that bleed don't let vomit off the street and the safety tip i know you don't want to die so slowly back away from that infected guy stay in ebola free you did all those things right stay in ebola free licked a couple of don't eat that raw meat and see we'll all be ebola free now, this is where it gets a little more complex. Keep away from those sweaty sheets. Keep away from this charge that secretes sand. If you want to call me your fear, put down that glass of diarrhea. Stay in Ebola free. Stay in Ebola free. Don't touch others' poop and pee. And we'll be Ebola That's where you blew it. Free. It was the last one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just wash your hands and you will see. It's easy to We forget. can be yeah. Ebola Jason free. Jason sometimes gets into these places and he's like, I've got to touch somebody's poop or pee. <laughs> and uh, apparently he did that when he was there. Understandable. So. But it's good you know? to have you back, Jason. What's the thing that you, before we get into Liberia, what's the thing you took away from this? Oh, man. Multiple things, actually. Um First and foremost, um, even though, you know, the outward uh, story seems to be always how scary things are, how ugly things are. But then I saw, like I said, when I was in that Ebola treatment, it was a miracle. There was a miracle that was performed there. There It was two Christian charity groups that provided the entire clinical care for that country. 
they weren't even prepared for it, but they answered the call and they did it. Um, and that was That's just amazing. the amazing thing. You know, somebody said to me, um, uh, uh, somebody, a Jewish rabbi said to me, Glenn, it's 1941. You're in, you're in Europe and, um, you know, you come to me and you're freaking out because you're Jewish. If I said to you, you know, hey, a miracle's going to come out of this and the state of Israel by 1947 will be reestablished. You know, he said, you would understand. It's, it's going to be okay. God will use everything bad and something good will come out of it. I'm like, yeah, but that still requires me to get from 1941 to 1947. Yeah. And, you know, it's tough on the way. But if you can just, you know, do the right thing and have that confidence in divine providence, it, it, it does work out that way every time. Yeah. I, uh, that chapel that I was talking about before that they were having to use as an isolation ward, I, uh, there's a stigma about the people that have recovered from Ebola there, and people don't want to touch them. They don't want to go anywhere Still. near them. Yeah, they're pariahs. They completely shun them and even to wow. this day. And uh, I said, is there stigma to that church? Like, do they not want to go anywhere near that church? And he goes, and the, and the church, by the way, is blowing up there thanks to these groups. But I said, uh, well, is the stigma, is it, is it attached to that church? And she, he goes, oh, no, to the contrary. He goes, people see that church as the ultimate manifestation of the power of God. And it like hit me like wow. a truck. And that's exactly, that, that actually was the entire, that was the message that resonated to me throughout the entire trip. It was just amazing. Are they, once you have Ebola and you survive, can you get it a second time? Um, I'm not sure about that. I wonder if you have immunity. You might have the, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. You're I asking the expert who reached into the slime in the, in the middle of the <laughs> yeah. Ebola treatment yeah. center. It's currently infecting all of us. Um, <laughs> um, the, the other thing I want to talk to you um, quickly about is um, Liberia. This was a country started by freed slaves here in America that went over in the 18, what, 20s, something like that, um, and started Liberia and um, modeled it after us. It's, the capital is Monrovia, after, after Monroe, the writer of the Constitution. In fact, they wrote their Constitution from Washington, D.C. Unbelievable. But I didn't know those same blacks, when they came over back to Africa to set up their own comp- country, they didn't know how capitalism worked, free market worked, and so what did they do? So they didn't, they didn't know how to do an economy. They didn't, know, they didn't know about it, so they were like, well, what do we do? Well, how, did, how are we treated? Well, they set up plantations, and they, you know, they got slaves, and we provided all the, all the cash crops for them. So that's exactly what they did. They enslaved the native African tribes, and they became the slave owners at that time and just did it exactly Blacks the way they Blacks on Blacks. And how long did that last? Um, so that system of government lasted all the way up until like around 1980. I mean, wow. unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable. Might be confusing Madison with Monroe, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But yes, but yes they did. I mean, they love James Monroe. Yes, they did. They okay, did. back in a this minute. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. I found this story in the uh, uh, in the Sun, and I wanted to share it with you. It is the ninety thing, ninety eight things that the data points that Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook holds on about you. You guys yeah. see this at Glenbeck.com? Yes, this is 
crazy. This is nuts. Okay, so just crazy. because you participate on Facebook, these are the things that they know and store on you. They know your location, your age, generation, gender, language, education level, field of study, school. And so far, people, most people are probably saying, ah, oh, well. I know. Right? Ethnic background, income, and net worth. How do they know some of these things? If you fill out, if you fill out the, uh, what's it called, the, the bio on you, yeah. you might fill in some of those things. But and as for net income. worth, yeah. you'll go down income. Yeah, but you'll go down and listen to what else they have on the list, and you can, you know, you can get some of this information from the from the others. Uh, okay, home ownership and type of home. How do they know where, what, what if they owe money? Maybe if you post a photo of your home. These pictures. are the things. I've never done. These are the things that they know about users. That's your these family. Are the things. So, so these are not things that you have to answer. Right. These are the things that they gather just by your use. Yeah. So they have these on every Facebook user. Sure. Okay, so this is without our help? This is them yeah, just snooping is, on us? I don't know how they get well, this. Well, it's a big I mean, they it, have it, your it location. Collects, it collects metadata. So right. I think it collects everything from Facebook, and then it goes out and collects any other metadata about you and sorts through it. Well, if, if you think about it, like, if they know your location, they know where you go every night, which would be your house. And they do know that. available on I mean, Zillow or wherever yeah. else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they could theoretically put it together if they have all that. So they know you. They know the value of your home, the size of your property, the square footage of your home, the year your home was built, who lives in your house, <laughs> whether you have an anniversary approaching in the next month, if you're living away from the family or your hometown, whether you're friends with someone who has had an anniversary, is newly married or engaged recently, has moved or has an upcoming birthday. They know how much you love your wife. They know if you're in a long-distance relationship, if you're in a new relationship, if you have a new job, if you've recently engaged, if you've, if you've just gotten married... If you've moved houses recently, when your birthday is coming up, your parents, expectant parents, mothers, divided by type, which includes soccer moms or uh, other maternal tribes. What the hell is that? Oh, I'm so sick of the changing of language. Um, if you are likely to engage in politics, whether you're conservative or liberal, your relationship status, your employer, industry, job title, office type, interests, whether you own a motorcycle, whether you're planning on buying a car, if you've purchased auto parts or accessories recently, if you're likely to buy auto parts or services, the style and brand of your car, the year your car was purchased, the age of your car, how much money you're likely to spend on your next car, where you're likely to buy your next car from, how many employees your company has, if you own a small business, if you work in management or executives, if you've donated to charity, all divided by which type, operating system. How would they know that? I don't know. Operating system, if you play browser games, if you own a gaming console, if you've created a Facebook event, if you've used Facebook payments, if you've spent more than average on Facebook payments, if you administer a Facebook page, if you've recently uploaded photos to Facebook, your internet browser, your email service, early or late adopter of technology, if you're an expatriate and what country you lived uh, or left, if you belong to a credit union, national bank, or a regional bank, if you're an investor, number of credit lines, if you're an active credit card user, your credit card type, if you own a debit card, if you carry a balance on your credit card, if you listen to the radio, what TV shows you like, if you use a mobile device and what brand it is, 
um, what kind of internet connection you have, if you've recently bought a smartphone or a tablet, whether you access the internet through a smartphone or tablet, if you use coupons, the type of clothing your household buys, what time of the year you do the most shopping, whether you're a heavy buyer of beer, wines, or spirits, what groceries you buy, whether you buy beauty products, whether you buy medications, whether you buy, spend money on household products, whether you buy, spend money on products for kids, pets, or an end, what kind of pets, if your household makes more purchases than average. Facebook also knows if you tend to shop online or offline, the type of restaurants and what kind of uh, restaurant user you are and eat at. How could you have this kind of information on 1.7 billion people? The kinds of stores you shop at, your interest in advertising, offering auto insurance, mortgages, and satellite. We tell them them some of that. No, I'll I'll tell you. I've I've noticed the pattern here. Length of time, user, you've lived in your house. If you're likely to move soon, if you're interested in the Olympics, football, or um, it says cricket, so I would imagine that's different because this came from the London Sun. If you travel frequently, whether you commute to work, the type of holiday or vacation you enjoy, if you've recently returned from a vacation, if you've used a travel app, whether you're involved in a timeshare... Goodbye, privacy. Oh, it's long gone. We've given it to them. We've given that up. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Okay, so here's how I think they're doing it. Notice it says here, if you're interested in advertisement in offering auto insurance, mortgages, and television. So I I bet that they're buying metadata from, like, um, car dealer, you know, uh, banks, mortgages. They're looking, you know, they buy metadata from people who have just taken out a mortgage or are looking for a mortgage. Um, they're, yeah. You're saying it's outside information. They're, 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 they're incorporating what they have. Then when you are a Facebook user, then they go out and they buy metadata from other companies. And, and if you're in that, then they funnel all of that in. So everybody, they have works. 90, they have, and, and he said, um, he says, Mark Zuckerberg said, these are 98 data point. It holds on all Facebook users. What would you use that for? As for ads. For, just for just ads? I mean, you're using all of that like information many companies, to target people with ads? This yeah. is his quote. Like many companies, we use widely available information to help show people better ads. Yeah. However, unlike wow. many of those companies, we provide information that help explains this practice, and we give people ways to opt out and help control their experience. Uh-huh. Imagine. Now, I've never seen the ones, a way to do that. Have you? These are the ones that they admit to. Right. How much... How many other data points do they have or could, could they? they have? Oh. There's, there's no way. I mean, I'm in the middle of, because we're starting this, sh- this uh, new show called The Vault. And so I'm in the middle of doing a lot of research on World War II and Germany and, and the Nazis and how they, you know, what they did. Um, you, every Jew on the planet would have been gone. You just have the technology of Facebook, and every Jew on the planet would have been annihilated. There's no way to stop man going crazy anymore. There's just no way to stop it unless the technology providers and the technology um, uh, uh, brains would stop it. But remember, I mean, it was doctors. It was doctors and scientists that did it in the Second World War. So 
if these guys go bad and governments go bad around the world, I mean, can you imagine? Well, this is the ongoing battle, though, because technology also does so many good things. Oh, I know. Free people to, I mean, like oh, part of this, some, a lot of times no. that we've learned from governments cracking down on people in regions we never would have even no. known about it until it was too late. No. We've been able to get that. Well, technology is, look, technology has freed more people than it is enslaved by far. Um, but the right circumstances far, can make it really dangerous. The wrong circumstances, mm. you know, make this, I was looking you don't at need this. to, it, it's, it's, it's incredible. You don't need to, you know, let's check the lampshade. Make sure there's not a bug in the lampshade. Remember that from like Mission yeah. Impossible when we were kids, and you know they had to go in and they would they'd feel around on all of the door frames and everything else to make sure. Russia used to do that. You'd you'd know if you go to Russia, don't speak in the hotel rooms. Put a camera in the smoke detector. Exactly right. You don't need to do that. You're carrying a camera and a microphone 24/7. with you twenty four seven. Twenty four seven. I mean, we have I, there's one sitting in front of me now on, on top of. In a, a television network yeah. and the phone that I carry with me other times. No. So, we you guys, do you guys watch Mr. Robot? You guys see Mr. Robot? I watched the first season. I haven't really watched the second season. Oh, yet. my gosh. You have to watch the second season. I, in fact, I want to play something today from Mr. Robot that is uh, torn from today's headlines. <laughs> there, there was something that I oh, saw like, th- this week in this episode that I'm like, oh, my gosh, does that sound like what's happening right now? But, the, you know, the, the, the things they even show in Mr. Robot that, you know, are clearly um, difficult but not, you know, doesn't take the NSA to do right. is pretty phenomenal. Yes, it is. You can get into anyone's life now. Uh, and, you know, it's... That's why we, you know, we do the commercials for LifeLock, and we're like, it's fastest growing crime. And imagine that falling into the wrong hands, not just local criminals, and that's what's happening in Russia. Russia's backing all of that stuff. You don't think, that's why, you know, I don't think I really understood. You know, Putin says we're at war now. You guys know that? No. He said no. we are in war now. The war has already started. I have to play this um, video. It's in Russian um, but I've been doing a lot of research on Russia and and these guys. And, and do you speak Russian now? I do. I do. Okay, that's cool. Um, but no, it's in Russian, so you have to read the subtitles. But he said he was in a press conference, and he said he was sitting around this table with all these press people, and they were from the West. And he said, "Why? What? What? What is it you guys don't get? What is it you guys don't get in the West? I've been trying to say, don't do these things to Russia." And you guys have been doing those things. And we are in a state of war now. We're, we're in a state of war. I mean, and, he's, and he is coming off in a way of trying to plead with a, of the press to tell your government and to tell your people, the people we're at war. It's kind of scary. It's really scary because he's also the guy who says, and everybody, everybody I've ever spoken to at the Pentagon says, Glenn, the next war is going to be digits, not bombs. And... That's what they're doing. They're hacking into all of our systems right now. They believe that we are at war with each other, and they are showing us that we are. They're hacking in. They're not sending bombs or missiles. They're sending digits our way. But we're not really, we're not really paying attention. Or no, not. Because we're, you know, we're, we're paying attention to a circus every day instead. 
before you visit a coffee shop, well, geez, I'm doing life lock. What, 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 were, we, what we were just talking about? <laughs> life lock. Life lock. Life lock, life lock, life lock. Um, I remember back in the 90s, remember the guy was like, I, I'm so secure with LifeLock, I'm the CEO, and here's my social security uh, number. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, A, that was dumb, but B, who, who needs that? I mean, yes, yes, I get it, and look, somebody's found a way to make money. You can't survive, really, without somebody watching over your credit. You really can't, with the hacking the way it is, and the fastest growing crime, and you see these huge lists coming out, they can shut down your retirement, they can shut down your bank account, they can destroy you, and the worst victim are the children. You have a baby, that's filed, those are the prime numbers for uh, identity theft, because they know they've got about 15 to 18 years before anybody says... Oh, I I got to use my social security number, and I'm going to open up a bank account, and that's when they figure out, holy cow, my whole life has been destroyed. LifeLock not only uh, monitors all the information, but they also help you work it out with a U.S. based agent from LifeLock. If you have a problem, they clean it up. Nobody can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions in all businesses, but LifeLock is the best identity theft protection available. Memberships start at $9.99 a month plus sales tax. Remember the 98 things I just told you Facebook has? So do the bad guys. Go to LifeLock.com, 800-440-4936. Promo code BECK, 10% off LifeLock Ultimate Plus, 800-440-4936. 1-800-440-4936. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at glennbeck.com. <laughs> I am going to be with Pastor John Hagee tomorrow. Uh, Southern gospel and country music performers uh, are doing a celebration of faith and freedom, the American gospel celebration. It is happening at Louisville's uh, Freedom Hall mm. uh, this weekend, the first through the third. You can go to americangospelcelebration.com. I'd love to see you. I'm going to be there tomorrow night. I am not talking politics. I mean, you know, here's this is amazing. I love John Hagee. Um, this is it. This is what he wrote. He said, in the midst of a divisive political season with unrest popping up in cities all across the uh, country, um, we need to lift up our voices in song and celebrate faith and freedom. Um, Sense the hate, right? <laughs> I mean, right? this guy's wow. such a hater, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. He is one of the most maligned guys yeah. ever. Yeah. By the way, I have to... And misunderstood like, oh, totally. like crazy. He is such a good man. Yep. So I'm going to be in, in Louisville. I did an interview with somebody. I didn't even know how to respond. I saw it. I'm not going to say who it was, but I, 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 I read the story and they didn't include any of this. The second question was, um, you're not an evangelical. You're a Mormon. And I said... <gasps> What? This is journalism. Somebody should should have told me that. And um, (laughs) he said, uh, you're a Mormon. Um, uh, How is it that the evangelicals 
um, get along with you. I don't know. Ick. I know. You. I, 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 I paused and I said, <laughs> you don't think I understood your question. And he said, well, I mean, I mean, you, they don't believe um, what you believe. And, and why is it that, um, that you can get along and they can get along with you? And he said, I honestly don't know how to answer that question. And uh, I said, you know, let me just let me just change a couple of words. You know, you know, I know you don't believe the same thing as them Jews. How do you get along with them Jews? It, it was the crazy, most bigoted question I have ever received. They realize uh, that. Well, they said, OK, uh, moving on. Let's talk about the gospel celebration. <laughs> he said, OK, Louisville, Saturday. See you there. It is Friday, and we've got quite a broadcast plan for you. We are going to jam-pack 20 minutes of high-powered entertainment in the next 60. Do not overpromise. Or so, Okay, maybe the, the song, the theme song is going to be outstanding, and we begin that right now. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Mercury. Welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. All this week, we've been sharing the history of education in America, and um, we're going to do that in about a half hour from to, uh, from now. Uh, the agenda, the progressive agenda in the schools and Common Core is what we covered yesterday. Today, the solutions to the government in, intrusion in your child's education in our final installment of the serial, and also the fight that is going on now about American exceptionalism between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. This is the most bizarre turnabout I think I've ever... If I would have said to you, Stu, mm-hmm. we're going to have a Republican and a Democrat, and one's going to say they believe in American... Forget about if they actually do. One's going to say they believe in American exceptionalism, and they're going to be strong on that, while the other is going to say, I don't like the term, I think it's insulting, and nobody in the rest of the world wants to hear about American exceptionalism, and I don't think it's true. Which one would you say is going to stake out those positions? I a Democrat takes the, we don't, we're not exceptional side. Listen to this, this, listen to this from Hillary Clinton. After eight years of an apology tour... Listen to what Hillary Clinton actually had the guts to say. said very clearly that he thinks American exceptionalism is insulting to the rest of the world. Okay. Mm -hmm. In fact, when Vladimir Putin 
of all people, criticized American exceptionalism, my opponent agreed with him, mm -hmm. okay. saying, and I quote, if you're in Russia, you don't want to hear that America is exceptional. Oh, no. Okay, stop for a second, because that's clearly taken out of context, and I want you to hear the exact quote, because Hillary Clinton a liar. cannot a liar. be, she's, she's, what does he call her? A lion, no. Corrupt Hillary. Crooked Hillary is known to be crooked. She's known to be a liar. There is no way that that actually happened. And I cannot believe that the Democrat is taking the American exceptionalism position. Here's what Donald Trump actually said. I don't like the term. I'll be honest with you. And I'll, people will say, oh, he's not patriotic. Look, if I'm a Russian or if I'm a German or if I'm a person we do business with, why? You know, I don't think it's a very nice term. We're exceptional. You're not. First of all, Germany's eating our lunch. So they say, why are you exceptional? We're doing a lot better than you. I never liked the term. Wow. And perhaps that's because I don't have a very big ego and I don't need terms like that. Oh, but uh, honestly, oh my God. <laughs> oh, you meant it as When a joke. you're doing business, I mean, I watch Obama every once in a while say American exceptionalism. Is, oh. I don't like the term. Because we're dealing, first of all, I want to take everything back from the world that we've given them. We've given them so much. On top of taking it back, I don't want to say we're exceptional. We're more exceptional. Essentially, you're saying we're more, we're more outstanding than you. All that's progressive, I think. All that's liberal. All it is. Because you're not saying anything about this. First of all, I, you're saying the, the, something about yourself, the, and you're saying something about the idea of America. You're, hey, you're not talking about, about the people. You're not. You're, you're talking, talking about, about the Constitution. The Constitution. Yes. The Constitution gave us, you know, if you look at our exceptionalism, Jeez. That, that is a term that really came about in the 1800s and early 1900s, American exceptionalism. Why? Why was that? Because people would come here with nothing and they would change the world. Yeah, they'd so gain everything. They would gain everything. Why? Because of the opportunity we right. provided them, not because of the wonderful people necessarily right. here. We're a melting pot. People came from all over the world. I talked to a guy. We're doing a special next week, no, week after next for September 11th. I talked to this guy. Amazing, amazing. He came from India in February 2001. Uh, he got married. They moved. His wife was living over in India with him. You know, the, the, he grew up in India. She was born in the United States and then moved to India. They got married and they decided, let's go to America. So they come February 2001. Neither one of them have jobs. Neither one of them have jobs. Within six months, they're at the top of the world. Literally. She's working in the South Tower of the World Trade Center. He's working in the North Tower of the World Trade Center. They had, in six months, found a place to where they could, they, they weren't, they weren't cleaning toilets or dishes. They, they, they were working in power jobs, working at the top of the World Trade Center within six months. He says that morning at 8 o'clock, he writes an email to a friend and says, I've come to America and already I have done so much great stuff. And I've had access to so much great stuff, but I feel like I'm starting to just chase stuff 
and the dollars, and I'm losing my, my place with God, something's got to happen in my life that puts me back on track, that allows me to keep forever the perspective that money isn't first, God's first, and pursue that. An hour later, he, is, he was working on the 72nd, 72nd floor where jet fuel is coming down on them. He sees the wing of the plane in the ceiling. He's going down the stairs that's on fire. He stops at the 52nd floor and he's just trying to get a hold of his wife. And he's trying to get a hold of his wife and say, where are you, honey? Get out of your tower. Get out of your tower. Um, A firefighter comes in and says, get out of here. It's an amazing story. There's so many God things in this story. He gets down. He can't get a hold of his wife. He's standing in the lobby of the World Trade Center. And uh, this FBI agent comes and says, you got to get out of here. He gets out. The FBI agent goes back up the stairs that tower comes down. He has his life saved. It's, it's an incredible story. His wife get out too? He finally gets a hold of his wife at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And because oh, no man. cell phones are working right. or anything yeah. else, so he thinks that. she's how long that must dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my he, God. She's dead. He's convinced she's dead. She said, honey, I missed the train by like two minutes and so I wasn't able to get on the train to go down to the World Trade Center. So I went back home and called in sick. Wow. I mean, incredible. Now this guy is, I just had him on television. We're, we've got an incredible premiere week that starts the week of September 11th. Not next week, but the week after. Premiere of a brand new season of Glenn and it's, it, it, we have four different shows a week. It's not like anything you've ever seen before. Two separate history shows that are completely different from each other. My theory is people learn in different ways. So we have four different shows a week. The first show, I think, is first or second show that week is going to be the, the 9-11 show. And he's on it. And it's, it's awesome. But here's this guy who's now gone on with his life, and he's doing exceptional things with his life because he's here in America. And you know what he's doing? He's going back to India, based here in America, trying to save the children off the streets of India that are sold in sex slavery. Mm. And they're sold for $1.50 a trick. And they're children. And he has started this business or this, this charity here in America where he is, he is working towards that. He couldn't do that in India. He's doing it here. The freedoms, what little freedoms we have left in comparison to what we had 100 years ago, still make us the most exceptional in the world. Not the people. He's from India. It's the laws that we had, the Constitution, the stability of that Constitution that has made us exceptional. Not the people, but what the people are able to do because of the Constitution. People, when I talked to him, he, he, he looked at me and he said, unlike most people say, he looked at me and he shook my head and he said, 
it is a true honor to meet you. And I said, thank you. And he was so sincere. And in talking to him, he is unlike most Americans. He recognizes the exceptional nature of what we have, not who we are, what we have. And he is on the front lines of standing up. Don't you guys get it? Look at what you have. What you have is exceptional. That's American exceptionalism, not the people. When people say, well, Americans are exceptional. No, they're not. Americans are no more exceptional than others. We haven't been beaten down so much that we just have given up on trying to make the world better. Pretty close. What? Pretty close. We are pretty close. We are pretty close. We're darn close. Yes. But that's why, again, we can't change. We can't change. Our, Our life might change. Our government might change. We might go through absolute hell. But if we change, then it is over. But as long as we keep that spirit alive in us and don't let it be beaten out of you, you win. It's, 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 I have to tell you something Mel Gibson um, taught me. Maybe, would, would you write this down? Maybe next hour. I've never really talked about the Mel Gibson meeting. Oh, I had this, I had an incredible 90 minute off the record, no cameras, just me and Mel and um, uh, Randall Wallace. The guy who wrote a million movies, uh, but but Braveheart. He is Wallace. It's it's his. um, um, He found that story and wrote Braveheart based on his relation. Um, uh, But I I learned so much from Mel Gibson uh, that I didn't expect. I really I didn't know what to expect from Mel Gibson, you know. After, you know, seeing all the crazy things from video clips and, and uh, phone recordings and everything else, you're like, this guy's, this guy's, he could be nuts. He, I, he taught me something. Just write down, um, I didn't realize I was winning. Would you write that down? Sure. Let me tell you what he told me um, that was, uh, that I think we all need to hear. I think we all need to hear. I was hanging out with Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg <laughs> uh, last week, too. Yeah, we bumped into, me and Brad Pitt, Pitt uh, bumped into you. It was at the... Yeah, uh, yeah. we were just the, hanging out. I, I can't tell you what I learned from those two. When was that? Uh, t- Tuesday o'clock. Oh, really? I, I was with Tom and Brad on oh. Tuesday, and they didn't mention that they were with you at all. Yeah, we keep it low-key, off the record, you know. Was that when you <laughs> saw me with Kate Beckinsale and Margot Robbie? You is that the you same lunch that where we... Fantasy life was. is way better than our fantasy life. <laughs> <laughs> right? And believe me, that's what we're all living, fantasy <laughs> life. Uh, all right, our sponsor this half hour is Goldline. Um, I want to... I've been keeping a, a list of who's been naughty and who's been nice. I've been making a list of the stories here recently that are saying the things that we um, we know are coming. Um, and let me just give you just a couple of them here. Uh, China on the rise. Um, gosh, I don't have them here. Germans lose faith in their banks. The sinister side of cash. Amazing story in the Wall Street Journal. 
Um, paper money fuels corruption, terrorism, tax evasion, and illegal immigration, so the U.S. needs to get rid of the $100 bill and other large notes. Um, Jim Rickards, um, there is a war on gold that is coming because there's a war on the dollar. Um, this one is about 25 pages. Fed admits another $4 trillion in QE will be needed to offset an economic shock. Now you think, what's the economic shock? They're talking about a recession. But if you read this, and then you read also the headlines um, now, most honest economic journals are saying, we're already in a recession, but nobody's going to recognize this until the election is over. But that's when everybody will say, okay, we actually have started a new recession. We're in a recession now. QE, quantitative easing. The Fed is saying they have to print another $4 trillion dollars and push it out in the system just to handle a recession, not a big shock, a recession. That's doomsday. That's absolute doomsday. Uh, and by the way, in this article about page 23, mm, they don't even know if it will work. So what are you going to do? May I suggest gold or silver? May I suggest that gold has always been the standard when things break down? And it's been that way for 5,000 years. There is nothing that you can, um, that, that beats gold when it comes to trade and currency when the world is in turmoil. It doesn't change. It is called the gold standard for a reason. Call 866-465-3546. I beg you, please, before things begin to get crazy. The rest of the world is buying gold now. Americans are not. Why? Because we only look at things when it's on fire. When We, we look at things when, when the housing market is at the top. We don't want to buy when the housing market is at the very bottom. We only want to buy it when it's crazy, when everybody's buying it. That's stupid. That's American think. If, if everybody's buying it, I have to buy it. The rest of the world doesn't think that way, and they're buying it now. Please consider gold or silver, 1-866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE, or goldline.com. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Here we go. Hey. So we were just we were just listening to this uh, deal. Hillary Clinton, who has been in the administration for eight years, and the administration has apologized for. You have Obama saying that yeah. he doesn't believe yeah. in American exceptionalism. Yes, I believe in American exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. Just as it. I suspect that the Brits believe in British exceptionalism, and right. the Greeks believe in Greek exceptionalism. Okay, Iceland believes in... Right. And the only reason why we have that, you didn't... Correct me if I'm wrong. You didn't put that in your machine today, right? No, it's been there for years. 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 The reason why that's been in there for years is We were incensed by it. Everybody was. Conservatives could not get their arms around the idea that a president would say, I don't believe in American exceptionalism. It was a first. 
And he didn't even say that, really. He said, no. I believe in it, just like Brits and right. Greeks. And, and that no, makes sense, people. It just showed that, well, we're no, more, we're no better than they are. So right. Now, Hillary Clinton's been a part of this administration with this kind of rhetoric for eight years. Yeah. She's now taking the high ground and bashing Trump because he doesn't believe in American exceptionalism. I mean, his statement is so much worse. I don't like the term. I'll be honest with you. And I'll, people will say, oh, he's not patriotic. Look, if I'm a Russian... Or if I'm a German, Uh or if I'm a person we do business with, why, you know, I don't think it's a very nice term. Okay, so stop. Let me ask you this. The theory, and I've heard this from several people and some some conservative uh, icons, that America is, uh, is, the conservatives are better off with Donald Trump because He's able to take us where we all should be anyway. Like to show us we're not exceptional. This is, this is progressive thinking entirely. Oh, completely. In this case was made after the amnesty thing. Look, only Donald Trump could take conservatives to a point to where they are just going to you know, have amnesty. Uh-huh. And everybody else couldn't get that done. But he has done it in a way where now, finally, we're on the right path for amnesty. Like we've all been pretending we just didn't want it? Or, or, no, no, no. or we didn't know it was good for us, right. and now we should? And- it is the shepherd versus the sheep. Good. The progressive is the rancher. Right. We're the cow. We're right. just too stupid to figure it out. But once you get somebody in there that can teach these stupid cows... I mean, wow, it's incredible. It is. And so did you actually believe in American exceptionalism in the past? Or were you only mad at Barack Obama because he said it as a Democrat? You're listening to the Glenn Beck program. century ago, America's progressive elites, believing the Constitution to be old, dusty, and irrelevant, formulated a 100-year plan to bring about the fundamental transformation of America. They knew that no plan that didn't include controlling the education system could be successful. America's children would have to be indoctrinated. God and religion eventually eliminated entirely from the classroom. The Constitution had to be de-emphasized and socializing, and socialism would need to be emphasized. Along came John Dewey and Horace Mann to design the shift from classic education to progressive education. Since that time, America's students have received a steady dose of collectivism and socialism, Collectivism, socialism, Marxism principles such as redistribution of wealth, the idea that the Constitution is a living, breathing document, and that's only when the Constitution is mentioned at all, and a massive shift away from the facts and the truth. Meanwhile, the role of parents in the process has been so diminished that their children's education has nearly become 
none of their business. The transformation has taken us 180 degrees from where the Founding Fathers intended America to be. Here we are. So now what? What can we actually do about it? Kyle Olson, founder and CEO of the Education Action Group and co-author of Conform, points out the first step is to act. Parents must get involved. When it comes to how they learn, what they learn, um, and the, the pace at which they learn that, um, we, the professionals, know that. We know better than the parents do. And we've seen this uh, time and time again, this attitude um, play out. And, and whether it's not, um, whether it's shutting parents out, not letting parents be involved, or it's um, passing more regulations on parents and what they can't do, um, or, or whatever the case may be. What I've seen, and I, I can speak from a parent, but I know how my children behave. I know how they learn. Uh, I know what their interests are better than any government bureaucrat will ever know. And that's why I think it's incumbent upon parents to be in charge of their child's education. Um, many parents obviously yield that to a public school or to a charter school or to a private school or an online school um, to some degree. But parents need to be the ones in charge. And, uh, and, uh, and if they are not the ones in charge, then the state will fill that gap. During the progressive ed century, parents grew comfortable with turning the education of their children completely over to the state. They are the teachers. They are the administrators. They have the degrees. They're qualified, not us. What was lost was the knowledge that no one was more invested in the welfare of America's children. No one loved them, cared for them, and was more dedicated to them than their parents. But progressives will say, yes, parents care about their kids, but they're not qualified to teach them. And they certainly don't teach them the important things like sex education. Again, Kyle Olson. There is a secular progressive value set in public schools. And so when that sort of value set is in charge, there is no morality. There is no right and wrong. Everything is gray. Um, and so what we have seen when it comes to teaching sex ed is that things that traditionally um, either wouldn't be taught um, because they're abnormal behaviors um, or things that um, may be taught at older ages are now being taught at younger and younger ages. And in what this has done, it has it set up this conflict between parents and schools about what is appropriate uh, to teach to young kids. Olson explains how this is playing out between schools and families all across the country. What we're seeing around the country is this, this struggle uh, that's going on because parents feel like it's their obligation and it's their right to teach kids about um, reproduction and sexuality and, and those things, um, where the school, because they believe that kids are going to do it anyway, and so we better teach them about it, 
um, are they're shifting away from abstinence and they're getting into very sort of nitty-gritty details about, you know, different things, different behaviors and different things to do and all of those kinds of things. And so this is another example of, of a school um, that has uh, essentially mission creep, where instead of just teaching kids about reading and writing and math and history and, and you know, the basic subjects, they're getting into teaching about behaviors and um, and values and and it's it's a mission creep that's been going on for years now but it's another example I think of uh, parents need to be aware of what's being taught and how the value set what they learned in in school especially when it comes to sex ed is very different from what's being taught today yet another topic abdicated by parents and co-opted by progressives Tens of millions of American youth have learned their value system, not from their parents, but from the teacher at school. So again, what can Americans do about it? If you want more input and influence in the process of educating your children about sex or any subject, there are other options available. One of those is homeschooling. The elites in education and society in general will, of course, mock, ridicule, and belittle this alternative. Sure, they'll say you can homeschool your kids if you want to raise a total buffoon who can't feed himself, let alone contribute to society. First of all, they'll insist, only professional teachers who have a degree have any right or the ability to educate children. Only irresponsible rednecks would even attempt such a thing. Conform co-author Kyle Olson addresses that criticism. Uh, One of the things that unions push is that only people who go to a college of education should be able to be a teacher. And the reason that they do that is because they control that whole process. And there is a sort of a, a cynic would call it a brainwashing process that happens in a college of education where um, uh, teach, where student teachers there or teacher students there are exposed to Bill Ayers and they're exposed to Paulo Freire and they're exposed to uh, hardcore leftist ideology. Um, and, and what they are trying to do, of course, is capture those minds which then uh, once they have those people indoctrinated, then they go into the classrooms and spread the indoctrination. And so what they try and fight is any sort of disruption of that process. And there has been a great move that seems like, you know, fairly common sense to me to, to bring more people who have real-world experience um, who have not been indoctrinated through a four-year teacher degree program, um, but to bring those people into the classroom. Not to mention those most invested in the student, the parents, can actually become the most effective teacher for their child through their commitment and devotion to the task. But how can parents accomplish this daunting challenge? Teaching aids and curriculum for classical education through homeschool are now easily accessed through the Internet. There are homeschool co-ops available in nearly every metropolitan area of the country. 
Groups of homeschooling parents now get together in their homes and share their skills to educate kids in the co-op in their area of expertise. And in the process, parents can design a curriculum that is far superior to those being offered by the professionals with degrees. Now, how can someone make a claim like that? That homeschool curriculum is far superior to public school curriculum taught by professional teachers? Well, by using the results, the facts, the truth, the three things that have been de-emphasized from our progressive world. As reported by the Washington Times, an extensive research project was done by Ph.D. Brian Ray, an internationally recognized scholar and president of the National Home Education Research Institute. He compared the results of almost 12,000 homeschool students from all 50 states to their public school counterparts. The students took three well-known standardized achievement tests. The California Achievement Test, the Iowa Test of Basic Skills, and the Stanford Achievement Test. The results are staggering. Five areas of academic pursuit were measured. The home-educated students typically scored 15 to 30 percentile points above the public school students on the test. The public school average is in the 50th percentile. Scores range from 1 to 99. In reading, homeschoolers outperform public schoolers 89 to 50. In language, math, and social studies, homeschoolers outscored public schoolers 84 to 50 on each. And in science, the difference was 86 to 50. A 2015 study found that black homeschooled students to be scoring 23 to 42 percentile points above black public school students. It's important to keep in mind that those incredible results were achieved with zero taxpayer dollars going to educating the homeschoolers. In addition to paying the taxes for the public schools that they don't use, homeschoolers self-fund their efforts. Meanwhile, the local, state, and federal spending for public education is over $1 trillion per year. Spending more and more taxpayer money does not seem to solve America's education problems. And despite what anyone says, $1 trillion is far more than any other country spends on education in the history of the world. Now, this outcome shouldn't be shocking, when you remember that the progressive education movement long ago de-emphasized actual facts and truth and focused on socialization and indoctrination instead. Another popular criticism from public school devotees is the social aspect of public school for children that homeschoolers supposedly don't get. For many homeschoolers, the social aspect is one of the many reasons they have kept their children home. Homeschooling parents don't need to worry about their kids being introduced to drugs, sex, and bullying when they are secure within their own home. They also realize that their children will have plenty of opportunities to interact with neighborhood kids at sporting activities, church, and elsewhere. The curriculum used by homeschool parents can be tailored to their child's specific needs and for the family's values. For instance, God and religion removed decades ago from progressive public school environment, can be reintroduced and included in their education at home. Classic literature, living books, a knowledge and understanding of the United States Constitution and the founders' original intent, hands-on experience, 
love of country, and much, much more. A complete Jeffersonian education can be developed by parents and absorbed by their children. Now, not everyone can or desires to take the homeschool path. So besides homeschooling, there are other alternatives to succumbing to the progressive public education. Parents can band together with other like-minded, dissatisfied parents in the area and actually start their own school, a charter, religious, or totally private school. You could eventually seek accreditation or not. As with homeschooling, this is a big project and may not be for everyone, but it is an idea that provides another avenue to avoid conforming to the progressive machine. Also, like homeschooling, help and advice for starting something like this is as close as your internet connection. If taking your child's education into your own hands isn't possible for you, what else can be done? If public school is your only option, your involvement at school and in the entire process is a must. Knowing exactly what your children are being taught, speaking up and challenging the curriculum that runs contrary to your values, electing school board members that are in line with your values, and being even more involved than you already are. Perhaps running for school board positions yourself. Discussing with your kids what's being taught continually, nightly. All of these actions are critical. Another benefit to becoming more involved? Well, you might just prepare your children to be the saviors of the republic. Want more serials? You can listen to every episode at glenbeck.com slash serials. Next week, you'll learn about the history of unions in America. Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program. It is really simple. Everybody can make a mistake. Everybody does. In fact, some people I know with Blinds.com, it was probably Stu that did this, or Pat when he ordered stuff from Blinds.com. That uh, it went back three times. That wasn't me. No, mine was actually perfect. Uh, I think it was somebody. I think it was you or Pat. Well, well they ordered measure three Stu, times, right? That they, was you. No, no, definitely wasn't me. Like, I was able to measure things. Yeah, it was. Like it was. Being. It was somebody. I thought it was Pat or you. Tape but measure is pretty. Was it me? Yeah, they much? tried the tape measure, and for some reason, each time they got it wrong. But you, somebody told me that I mean, they couldn't didn't. Be you. Right? I don't think it would. Anyway, they don't mind if you make a mistake. They remake it for free. Check out the Labor Day sales event at blinds.com. Now through September 8th, save 35% off site-wide when you use the promo code BECK. That's blinds.com. Blinds.com. Promo code BECK. Blinds.com. Glenn Beck. Mercury. All right, there is a a real problem. Everybody's talking about the poll numbers, but Stu is the best at polls, and uh, and he's the only one good at math. Well, Pat's pretty good at math. 
Um, Jeffy is, of course, a mathematician. Oh. Jeffy knows the number 18. <laughs> he does, 18. 18. Uh, the, the number uh, you need to worry about is the Electoral College. Those numbers. Uh, Next. The Glenn Beck Program. Sixty-six days on the Clinton Express. Right to hell. Uh, the election of a lifetime. All oh, the most important election of our life. And Stu has the election by the numbers. The Senate ratings and more importantly, the Electoral College. Now, I didn't go to college, so I don't understand how it all works. But Stu apparently went to this college and can tell us all about it. That is the thing that you really need to pay attention to. That's where the numbers actually matter. The Electoral College, what is the strategy there? And have things changed? Apparently they have changed from last week. And if you want Donald Trump to win, he's got good news for you. We go there beginning right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. The Glenn Beck Program, 2016, election by numbers. Let's go to uh, Stu, who has the election by the numbers, and we're going to start with the Senate. Sure. Uh, the uh, House and the Senate. How close is it in the House, Stu? We- uh, the House, it looks like... Barring a complete meltdown um, from, uh, like, for example, if the, if the Trump uh, camp candidacy went really poorly and he lost by, you know, McCain, maybe worse than McCain, those levels, 10, 12 points, uh, they might lose the House. But it, there's no, there's no, unlikely. yeah, there's no, nobody's thinking he's going to lose by 10 or 12 points. Is is there? Any? It does not seem that way. I mean, as a, this is kind of what we're talking about. When we get to the presidential, we can go into that a little bit more, but it, it does seem to be tightening up a little bit. If you look at the, the way the House races break down, the Democrats would have to win all their solid seats, sweep them, all their leaning seats. They'd have to sweep all the Democrat leaning seats. They'd have to sweep all of the toss-up seats and then still pick off a decent amount of Republican leaning seats. That seems pretty unlikely. It's uh, it's not impossible. One place I saw had it uh, at about a 15% chance of happening. So it seems uh, unlikely, but it could potentially happen. There's not too much movement in the Senate as we're just starting to pick up the polling now. They usually say after Labor Day is when the polling really starts kicking in, and there's a lot of it. Um, but as of right now, uh, we have a, a, a situation where um, we moved uh, Rob Portman's seat in Ohio. Was one oh, to solid? To solid Republican from leading Republican. Uh, some developments in Ohio this week, which were, uh, first of all, Portman had been leading most polls by seven or eight points, uh, which was a decent lead and enough of a lead to put us into a leaning Republican um, column by, you know, pretty safely. But uh, one, a new poll came out and had him leading by 15. 
So uh, that combined with the fact that some Democrat money is now being pulled out of the state as it, as it relates to the Senate campaign for Portman. That's uh, excellent news. Very good news. Um, and, and, you know, Portman's not the most conservative guy in the universe, but I will say that the numbers matter here. It's, it, you know, unlike... You have no chance. Look, you have to operate. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm saying this as if I'm a Republican, uh, which I'm not, but... If you want the Republicans to win, uh, which I I do, at least in the Senate and the House, for sure, it's a toss-up to me between the two of them in the presidency, but if you want to be able to stop a Democratic president, you have to have the House and the Senate. And I'll, I'll take Portman any day to block. Yeah. I mean, because Hillary is so unpopular... That this one, this one I think you could get away with impeaching. Nobody's going to impeach a president, but Hillary is so unpopular, even with the left, that if she really tried to pull something, I think if you have the House and the Senate controlled by the Republicans, you could impeach her. More than anything else, you just want to stop these policies. Stop the policies. And, and, you know, obviously they're going to do plenty of stuff with executive orders. She's not going to get away with it, though, the way Obama did. Yeah, you know, uh, we've talked about this recently. The press does things to Hillary Clinton that they would never do to Barack Obama. Uh, We talked about this AP report that came out that went and cross-checked Clinton Foundation donations with her visitation schedule and found that about half or a little bit over half of the people she met with had given donations at some point during the Clinton administration. There's no way on earth they would do that to Barack Obama. No way. Never. Ever. I mean, that, that is the associated... No, they're press. still in the bag for her, but not like, not like Obama. No. I think with, 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 with Clinton, they want her to win, but they want her to win like a lot of people in this audience want Trump to win. They're not particularly excited about it. They don't particularly like her that much. Uh, with Barack Obama, they're thrilled I, about it. I don't think it's about her winning. I think, again, like a lot of people in this audience on Donald Trump, they just don't want the other person in office. Right. So it's not like they're excited about her they just don't like Donald Trump. And the same with the with the other side. So I just don't think that there's any love lost here uh, when she gets in if she really screws up, if you control the House and the Senate. Yeah, you have to have that. Still have Rubio in the lean and not solid? Uh, now, How Rubio, is that possible? Uh, his numbers are good, but they're not, uh, you know, and there's, there hasn't been, uh, he just won the primary. How is McCain? Uh, McCain just won the primary uh, again. He won his primary um, uh, this uh, week, of course, in hand in you know what was it by thirteen points, yeah. uh, fairly handily. The, the polling is pretty close there. Fundamentals favor uh, McCain. Um, in fact, uh, you know it, he's had one or two polls that have been close, and a couple polls that have been he had a sizable high single digit lead. Uh, so right now it's a leaner. Um, I will say, looking at it. Um, so to give you the kind of picture overall of where we are with the Senate, there's 30 senators for the Republicans that are guaranteed. They're not running for election. So 30 is your starting point. And we have 12 in the solid Republican. Uh, uh, so you're at if 42. That, if that holds, you at least have a filibuster, right? You at least have 42. Um, so that's at least something. Um, then you get to uh, six more that we have leaning Republican for a total of 48 as, as it currently stands. The Democrats come into this. Uh, they have 36 guaranteed. Uh, as with, they're not even up for election, so they start with 36. We have nine in the solid column for the Democrats, uh, which brings them to 45. We only have two in the leaning column, though, for the Democrats, which brings them to 47. Uh, so there's five toss-up seats uh, right now. 
um, that would de- decide the Senate, the Republicans would need to win two or three of these seats. Which tell would- me the toss-up. Tell me what your gut says about, let's say, Kirk in Illinois. <sighs> Kirk in Illinois is interesting because I think he's a very moderate and could win in um, even if Trump loses the state. He's coming out against Trump, too. He's actually campaigning and saying, look, I'm not with Trump. I'm not that guy. How about two? He has a chance. I think, I still think that it's going to be maybe uphill because I think the overwhelming vote in in Illinois is going to be so anti-Trump that he might have a tough time hanging out of that one. Toomey. Toomey, I think, has a real chance of being a victim of this, uh, of Trump's uh, candidacy, uh, sadly, because the purple state uh, Toomey's been a good senator. He's, uh, you know, generally speaking, he's pretty conservative. I mean, he was a club for growth guy. Uh, but he, um, you know, why, he has been able to, he's been a little bit moderate on certain things um, and has so far been outperforming Trump in Pennsylvania, but still it's going to be tough to win Pennsylvania. And no momentum. Um, yeah, and, and he's, there have been polls. He's seen, you've, you've seen him with leads, so it's, it's not impossible. Um, uh, the, the, the Nevada race is, I mean, you want to talk about a dead heat. Uh, that is a basically an exact tie right now. It's Harry Reid's seat. Um, uh, they're looking for the replacement there. Trump has polled well in Nevada, so that might help. Um, and it's already a close race, though that's obviously a purple to blue leaning state. Is there anybody? Is there anybody on either side that's running in that race that is a destroyer? Is a somebody who's like I'm going to break it all up. I'm sick and tired. Anybody who has any flash, or are they both politicians? Uh, I, th- I don't think there's a there's not a Trump in there. If that's okay. what you're asking, um, um, tell uh, me about Ayat. Ayat, Ayat is a uh, you know again she has had trouble. It's another tough state for Trump, and she's had trouble there. Uh, she's again a very John McCainish type senator. Um, so uh, she doesn't run in the exact same circles, but she hasn't come out unlike Kirk and been like I'm not voting for this guy. Uh, and, and Burr in North Carolina, I think Burr will wind up pulling that off, uh, but it's still pretty close. We still have it in the toss-up. So I think you'll get Burr, and I think you, you might get Nevada. Um, those are the two I think I'd be most hopeful for. The Republicans will pour money into New Hampshire if they think they can win it with Ayotte because they really like her. She's a McCain, yeah. you know, Lindsey Graham type of Republican. She's a progressive. She's an up-and-coming star in the party. They really so want her to win If those two that. happen, you're at 50 Right. So, I mean, 50. Yeah. And then, you know, if you get Nevada, that's three fifty one. Uh, you know, I think Toomey can still win the race in Pennsylvania. Uh, the, the polling has improved a little bit for Trump in Pennsylvania as well as we're going to go over here in a second. Um, so that's uh, pretty right, well, let's go to let's go to the presidential and the presidential polls. Everybody is talking about poll numbers, but you don't forget about the poll numbers. The president is not elected by the popular vote. He is elected by the Electoral College. And you're saying forget about the national poll. Yeah, forget about the national poll. You have to look at the state polls and then count the Electoral College for each state. When you do that, it is, you know, you can say all the polls you want. While it's very close, well, not it, it, it has been, I'm waiting for the update, it has been a complete and total blowout in the electoral college now Stu says this has changed it's i mean the you know it's changed in the state of the race i think has changed a little bit um and we can go over like the exact polling on this in a second um but what we what you're seeing here is some movement um some good polls coming out in virginia which is a state that we actually had over in the solid democrat last time we did this uh, we've moved that over to the leaning Democrat. Oh. As a couple of polls have come out that have showed that race a little bit tighter. One, I believe, within three points. That seems to be an outlier at this point, but it's close enough to at least bring it back to a leaning Democrat. And that's 13 electoral votes. Also, you have uh, Wisconsin, 
Um, a couple of good polls for um, uh, Donald Trump in Wisconsin, uh, closer than had been uh, thought before. Now, last week, you said Wisconsin. You thought if it was held last week, Wisconsin would go Democrat. Uh, and pretty easily. Um, and, and again, he has not won a poll in Wisconsin. We should be clear about this. But he's he's been getting a little bit closer. Um, and, and he was also had a poll that came in five points uh, in Michigan which is, was a state that was borderline whether it should be a solid Democrat. We'll leave that in the lean Democrat um, column for now. Um, so, that, again, the issue here is we moved nothing out of a, the Democratic column, but we did make a couple states a little bit lighter Democrat. Um, that's going to bring us, once again, uh, 201 electoral votes are solid Democrat and 72 are um, so far leaning Democrat. Which, again, you'll see the problem immediately if you know these numbers. Yeah. That's 273, which is three more than Hillary Clinton needs to be president. So, if, so right now, as this board looks, um, you have to go into the Democratic area and pull states out of the leaning Democrat column to win the election if you're Donald Trump. And, you know, that, oh, but that's what makes his promise. That's what's going to happen. That, that has been his campaign, right? Yeah. So um, right now you have uh, Arizona, Indiana, Texas, Kansas, and uh, South Carolina are all leaning Republican. And I do expect him to win all of those states, e- even with Arizona, which has been close in the polling. I, I expect him to pick that uh, pl- uh, to uh, pick that up in the end. The question here is you have these toss-up races. And what we have in the toss-up column now is Iowa, Florida, North Carolina, Ohio, Nevada, Georgia, and Missouri. Um, that's 100 electoral votes. The issue here when what makes this such a difficult road for Donald Trump is he has to sweep all of those states and, and he still loses. So if he sweeps all of those states, it gets him to 268, which is, or, uh, yeah. Uh, this could me, be two. over. This could be over by eight, nine o'clock in, in the morning. I mean, at night. It could be. It could be. But again, this is this you lose, the race now. You lose um, Ohio. Uh, or no, which closes first? You lose North Carolina, or Florida, or Georgia, and the race is over. Uh, yeah. So this gets him to uh, two sixty-five if he pulls off every single toss-up state. Which again, to sweep every toss-up state is always very difficult to do. I mean, and almost. I mean, you know, even uh, Mitt Romney lost North Carolina last. Or, uh, excuse me, Barack Obama lost North Carolina. Um, you know, uh, I believe McCain won in a very tight race, Missouri, in 2008. Some of these states are really close. And usually even a candidate with a, in a wave election doesn't sweep all of them. Donald Trump would need to sw- to nail all of these and then pick off something from the Democrat column. You said there was good news here for Donald Well, it is. And, and let me show you this because this is the, it's the same path. It's the same problem, though. It is the same problem. Let me show you a couple of charts here real quick on, the, on our fancy screen over here. Uh, can we get chart one here? This is uh, the uh, Clinton lead, um, and you'll see this is from the Republican convention. It starts, starts off, with a hockey stick. Right. It starts off at zero, right? Mm-hmm. And as the Republican convention goes on, it drops down to about a point and a half lead for Donald Trump. The Democratic convention begins, and it skyrockets up. This is when it was in the biggest panic state. But you'll see it leveled off at about 8% lead for, for Hillary Clinton, and it's consistently dropped from 8 down to about 5, about 5 now, that doesn't sound like a huge deal, uh, but it is, I mean, you've wiped out about half of her lead since her big convention right. bump. If you begin, uh, the convention bumps usually always go away on both sides. Uh, usually they do. Let me show you, though, how difficult a road this is. Can we okay, chart Hold two? on. We'll go to chart two after I come back. I've got to okay. take a quick break for the network. Uh, our uh, sponsor this half hour is uh, Casper. Hot weather, 
uh, heat-trapping mattresses, just not a good uh, combination. If your mattress is a heat-trapping magnet, do what I've done, do what Pat has done, upgrade to a Casper mattress. Casper was invented with two high-tech foams that guarantee your sleep is cool and comfortable with the exact right of support that you need. Time Magazine named this mattress one of the best inventions of 2015, and it is. It is. It's remarkable what they have done. Your Casper mattress ships for free. You can try it in your own home for 100 nights, risk-free. If you don't love it, then they'll pick it up and refund every dime after 100 nights. A third of the year you can sleep on this, and if you don't love it, ship it back. That's how confident they are in their mattress. Casper.com. Use Casper.com and the promo code Beck. You get $50 off the purchase of your mattress. Terms and conditions do apply. It's Casper.com. Offer code Beck. Casper.com. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. That's why we're in the place that we're in. Okay, so Stu. So yeah, a couple quick things as we're going over this. I'll try to explain this as much as possible. If you kind of get a sense of historical elections, what has Trump done in this tightening that has happened, by the way? This is not, it's not some uh, Breitbart dream. It has actually tightened a little bit since the peak of, uh, of the uh, campaign uh, for, uh, for Hillary, uh, the convention for Hillary. What you see here are the red lines that I've put on this chart, and I'll explain it to him uh, if you're on radio. Uh, the the margins of victory for past presidential candidates at the bottom here is Gore from 2000. He won the presidential uh, popular at this time or oh, this at the, the final, result. final result. Okay, to give you a sense of where we are with the race. Okay, Bush in 2004 won by a little bit over two points. Uh, Obama in 2012 won by almost four points, and Obama in 2008 won by a little over seven points, which was a blowout. So it was mandate. a blowout. So just think about how big these wins are for you. Right now, we are in between Obama's wins in 2012 and 2008. That is the margin. Blowout. So far, it's a blowout, but it has. But it's, it's still it has early. Tightened, and it's yeah. still early. Um, and what we're finding that interesting, if you want to find uh, a, a couple of positive points for Donald Trump, one is we have seen some tightening going on. And again, there's a good trend. If you can see this chart, it's gone from about eight points to about five points in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's good, solid momentum. Part of that is convention bounce, but part of it isn't. The other part of it, uh, if we go to chart three, this is interesting. This is opportunity for Donald Trump. If you look at the uh, national presidential polls of people using, uh, choosing third-party candidates or undecided, what's happened in, every, in the last couple of elections is a deep drop-off. People that are undecided are going for third-party. They start off around 12 uh, points uh, in the previous year, and it consistently drops until the election when almost nobody goes for the third party, right? What's happened this year is that it started out at the same area, between 10 and 12 points, and has increased all the way up to 16 points and is held at 16 points so far in 2016. Starting to drop a little bit now, though. Just just a tad. I mean, really, it's just flattened out. You're talking about 16% where in previous years it's only been about half of that uh, that is undecided. And you would say available people that uh, some of them are undecided. Some of them are going Gary Johnson or Jill Stein. But you might be able to pull those people back as this gets more. Gary heated. Johnson looked nuts this week. He did. I mean, he looked that's nuts a, this if, week. 
He's officially convinced me not to vote for him, I think. A lot of those I mean, people are going to walk into the booth, and they're going to be by themselves, and they're going to look at that list of presidential candidates, and it's going to go, Hillary, our audience is going to go, Hillary, no, got to go with Trump. Oh, yeah, I think that's going to be those. the vast majority. I will okay. tell you, I will tell you that, uh, do you believe that, Stu? For, with our audience, Absolutely. Okay. I think the, what do you think the average American is going to do that isn't decided? Uh, I think the majority go to Trump or Hillary. I think you know people who lean Democrat will go Democrat. People who lean Republican will go Republican. I think the people in the middle. I think a lot of them will look at these names, see Donald Trump, think he's too much of a wild card, he's too risky, and then wind up going to Hillary Clinton. <sighs> at I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't know either. I'm just you're asking me for I know. the spot. I have no I idea. Don't know. But, I mean, I think that's the traditional way people would go. You think it's different this year? I do. I do. Uh, and I'll explain when we come up because, uh, when we come back, because there is one X factor that I am not hearing anyone discuss. And it's the linchpin of the Trump, Trump campaign. I'll explain next. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Welcome to the program. Glad you're here. It's Friday. Um, a couple of things I want to talk to you about. First of all, uh, the X factor. You know, we're talking about normally people will go in and they will see, you know, these two candidates. And they're generally going to go the way they normally go. But who will the independents go to? Um, there is an X factor. I would have said Hillary Clinton two weeks ago. But there is an X factor on Donald Trump that no one is discussing. No one is discussing. And it is Roger Ailes. Roger is not a radical. Roger is, uh, Roger is I think, more of a progressive. Um, he was not a fan of the Tea Party. He, you know, he just wasn't a fan of all that. Um, he was a, you know... Uh, a guy who at one time said, Glenn, we all love the Constitution, but they got things we got to do. <laughs> okay. Ooh, that's interesting. Um, so he's just, he's a guy who likes to win for the team. You know what I mean? And his team is the GOP. And Roger is brilliant. He is one of, you know, you, I, 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 he never hit on me, so I don't know. Um, <laughs> But, uh, so I don't want to comment on any of that, but I will tell you this. As much as many differences that I had with uh, Roger Ailes uh, and many things I could say about Roger Ailes, um, Roger Ailes is simply a genius when it comes to positioning. And uh, I believe what you're seeing, this softening of Trump, is Roger Ailes. Um, he knows how to to do this. He is the guy who got Ronald Reagan elected. He is 
He has been in the White House since 1968, and he knows. And sitting in meetings and listening to Roger Ailes, the way he would paraphrase things and the way he would say things, if, if you believed in the same things that he believed in, or if you just wanted to win, I would tell Roger all the time, you would have been the biggest, most effective, and powerful broadcaster of all time if you would have been in front of the camera instead of behind. And he made some Alfred Hitchcock kind of comment about, you know, the way he looked or something. But he's brilliant. Um, I think if Donald Trump continues to listen to Roger Ailes, I think you could see a lot of people who are independent who are just like, I'm going to try something new. And if he stays the course and stays sane, that's the key. Well, that's, that's why he went to Mexico. And, and we talked about this on Pat and Stu the other day. Uh, you know, yes, he goes to Mexico and he comes away looking presidential. Same day, he goes crazy again when he's back uh, doing his immigration. But you don't need, I don't think you need very many impressions of him in big news of him looking presidential to, uh, to turn things around. You just need people in the next 60 days, don't do or say anything stupid play it down the middle be that guy be uh, you know be a good guy for 68 days or how many days are left it's it's interesting because i can't remember the last thing that hillary clinton did that was not either um dealing with terrible news about herself like huge email scandals or whatever or reacting to something donald trump did yes what has she done He's controlling the news. He's controlling the cycle. I mean, it's all about, and I think this is uh, intentional on the on the Clinton uh, side, which is, I just, you know, they think he's going to melt down enough times that they're not going to have to deal with trying Be to win. Very careful. It's risky because, I mean, how many times have very we seen careful. this? And, and Pat, uh, Glenn, you'll totally be able to relate to this. It's the whole prevent defense thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know exactly the what. <laughs> so anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, let me um, uh, let me switch gears, kind of. And now this. Central banks have been assuring us there's nothing to worry about when it comes to paper money. At the same time, they've been saying this quietly. They're accelerating their withdrawals of gold from the biggest centralized depository of gold in the world, the New York Federal Reserve. Did you know this? Since the current round of monthly withdrawals from the New York Fed, started in February of 2014, there has been a total of 388 tons of gold that has been taken out of the Federal Reserve and returned to the central bank holders over a span of 30 months. That is 20 tons shy of the previous birth of withdrawals, which started in March of 2007. Gee, March in 2007 when they were telling us the economy was fine. And then, oh, yeah, that's right. It collapsed later that year. Why, why are central banks giving us the paper money back and taking their gold? And why aren't we doing this as individuals? I want you to call Goldline, the company that you can buy with confidence. They've been in business for over 50 years. 
Call 866-465-3546. They are taking their paper dollars, the central banks all over the world. They're going to the Federal Reserve and saying, you can have your Federal Reserve note. I want the gold. Maybe we should do that with some of our income and our savings as well. Goldline, 1-866-GOLDLINE. 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Wash my hands of it. We ran out of time. I, I washed my hands of it. Okay. Uh, and now Americans don't have the information they need to be safe this Labor Day weekend. Lives. So you Lives wanted to do stake. a story. You wanted to do your uh, uh, what's his name? I wanted to show the real issue of what's really going on. That Alex Jones has uncovered that shrimp are committing suicide by swimming right up to seagulls and other birds and just being eaten. On purpose, because they're on Prozac. I And now, too late. Great. Thanks, Glenn. This is Thank you. the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.